You are listening to the light of today with the powerful, life-changing Word of Christ that heals, delivers, transforms, and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let God's truth burst forth into your heart. Stay tuned to the light of today with Chris Palmer. We are really going to get into the Word of God tonight. Don't let this intimidate you. Now, you all know that I have studied Greek for seven and a half semesters, so I think I'm going to use a little bit of it tonight. But I'm going to show you, I'm going to maybe, you know, get your appetite wet for Greek because I know you don't understand this, but you're going to see something in this that you understand and you're really going to start, this is going to open up for you if I do my job as a teacher. You believe I can do it tonight? You believe I can take this, which you can't read? If you could read it, you'll be very impressed by it. There's no way you can read this. And if you could... Um, I'd be impressed, but if you can't, tonight, if I'm a good teacher, I'm going to show you something in this that's going to really open up your eyes to something. Can I do that tonight? Second Timothy chapter 3. I've been in this scripture for a long time, and I'm excited. Now, I want us to be mature as a church. I want us to have the sharpest people that know the Word of God so sharp, and we're going to see why. And before we read the scripture, I want to give you a little historical background in 2 Timothy because it's extremely important to understand what's going on because it's going to open up the whole context to us in the scripture. This is going to be good teaching tonight. I just cannot wait. I cannot wait. 2 Timothy. Did anybody know anything significant about this book? You know, the Apostle Paul wrote 13 letters to the churches. 2 Timothy was the last thing that we hear from the Apostle Paul. He has been in prison twice in his whole entire stead as an apostle. Two times he's been imprisoned. The very first time he was in prison, we see him in the book of Acts, chapter 28. And the apostle Paul is in house arrest. But see, the thing about this house arrest is there was nothing dangerous about it. As a matter of fact, it was like a little vacation two years off. He used to get people to come visit him. People would stop by. He would mentor people. And God used his first imprisonment, really, as a way of writing some of his epistles. He wrote Philippians, for instance, when he was on house arrest. He wrote Philemon. He wrote Colossians when he was on house arrest. And it really was a comfortable time, and he knew he was getting out. There was really nothing dangerous about it. But by the time we get to 2 Timothy, he is in prison again, and this time he's not under the same emperor. He's under Emperor Nero. Nero was a crazy man. He hated Christians. He set the whole entire city of Rome on fire, destroyed it, and blamed Christians for doing it. He despised Christians. Nero was somebody that would take Christians, dip their head in alcohol, and use them as human torches to light the streets of Rome. This is what Christians were going through. And the Apostle Paul is now under imprisonment by this crazy emperor. And the Apostle Paul writes 2 Timothy and he tells them that this is, that, that I have run my race, I have finished my course, behold, is laid up for me righteousness. His time is coming to an end and, and, and the Apostle Paul knows that this is it for him. He is going to die. He's probably never going to see people again anymore. And this probably is going to be the last thing that he writes. And when the Apostle Paul is imprisoned, he is in a dungeon. In fact, the Bible says that the dungeon that he is in is a very dark dungeon. History tells us it's a very dark dungeon. It's very far shut away. People didn't know where he was at. And it says that when Onesiphorus came looking for him, that he had to look very hard to find him, which means that he was hidden somewhere. People couldn't easily find him. And you can understand that when you are hidden so far away, and when people can't easily find you, and when you know that you're going to die, and you're in a cold, dark dungeon, that it gets very lonely. And you're all by yourself. And this is where Second Timothy is written, and it's, been, it's being written to who was to be Paul's closest companion, and that is Timothy. That's Timothy. This is being written, this book, because, number one, the Apostle Paul is lonely. 
has nobody. You'll see in Second Timothy chapter 4, he is all alone. Those people that had done him well, for instance, Damas, had forsaken him. Damas was one of his companions that traveled with him in his sufferings, shared in his sufferings. Damas forsook him. Damas left him and went back to Thessalonica. He was a Greek. That's where he was from. Not only that, but you know, you'll find out that uh, he had other people in First Timothy chapter 1 where he talks about Phygerius and Hermogenes. They left him as well. And he's lonely and he's in a dungeon. But something happened to him while he's in the dungeon. And that is the Holy Spirit came upon him and the anointing filled him. And the Apostle Paul began thinking about his church at Ephesus. And he began to get concerned about his church at Ephesus. And so the Apostle Paul, he never wrote his letters with his own hand. He started dictating to someone. He was a, still a Roman citizen. He had his rights. He could write letters. He could dictate letters and have them sent to their mail system. And so he decided that he was going to write to Timothy concerning the church that at, was at Ephesus. And the whole, So you have to get the picture. I mean, this is someone who is down. He's out. He's having a tough time. He's probably going to die. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And he picks up his pen and he begins to write. And you know any time that the Holy Spirit has ever come upon you to write anything. Whether you write in a journal, you start writing down the promises of God. What does it always have in it? It always has the prophetic in it. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you can take a teaching that is dry and boring out of a textbook. And when the Holy Spirit anoints it, it starts to become prophetic. And it starts to speak not only into the day that you're living in, it starts to speak into the future that you're living in. So understand that this is being inspired by the Apostle Paul to write. The Holy Spirit is writing something prophetic that he knew that we would have today on March 16th, March 17th, 2016. And he writes something that's so important. This is the last words that the Apostle Paul is going to say. You want to know what he had to say. This is what he had to say. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now we got the context, right? Okay. This is what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1. And I'm going to read all the way unto verse 6. I'm going to read out of the King James Version. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And it says, For of these sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with the verse less. How many of you have ever read this scripture before? How many of you have ever looked at this scripture and says, wow, the last days have to be something of a kind? Well, first let me introduce to you what he's saying. And I want to show this to you in the Greek because in the Greek there's something in here that we have to see that is very important. Now, first of all, the Apostle Paul says, this is, I mean, if you're looking at a Greek manuscript, this is what you're seeing right here. And there are certain things, you know, that when you're translating language, you're not able to translate them into English. For instance, there's an Italian word. And the word means in fact, but it doesn't mean in fact. It means something different from in fact. And when you try and translate this word into English, you have a very tough time doing it. And they don't like to do it. And as a matter of fact, when you're preaching, 
You never hear the translator use this word when he's converting English into Italian. He never uses it because it just can't be done. And matter of fact, maybe if you converted the word, you have to use three or four words to convert it, but you still don't get the idea that this one word possesses. And this is why people take the time to study Greek. And you know, you get to a certain place in your Bible. Well, you want to study it deeper. That's why I went back and started taking more Greek classes because I started getting to the Bible and I said, I, you get to a depth and you say, I need another tool to start getting into what is really being said here. So you have to learn the language that it was originally written in. Amen, somebody. Amen. So I'm going to show it to you in the Greek. And the very first thing that the Apostle Paul says is he says, Tauto. Tauto. And this, this word Tauto means simply this. And this here is the word they, and means and, and this word here, gnosko, by the epsilon on the end, means that it is a command. You know when he is writing, he has given to you a command. This is not an option. This is not something that maybe you do and maybe you don't. If you see this, based upon this, he's saying, but... I want you to know this. This is a command. This is something that is so important that it is going to be in the last days mandatory knowledge. Mandatory knowledge. And we're going to see, and maybe probably all the way through next week, that this list is so important. It's mandatory for us as Christians to know this because if you do not know this list, if you don't know this list in its entirety, if you don't know it all the way, we're going to see into where well, he stops talking, and that is 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. There is going to be confusion, and you might get caught up in the mix right here. Are you with me so far? Have I kept your interest? Okay, so I know you don't know. So he's saying, but this, I want you to know, this is m mandatory knowledge. And he says, Hoti and Asketes emeres. And what he's saying is, this is hati, it means that. That. But not only is he saying that, he's saying, for this reason. This is the reason that I want you to know this. This is the reason why the Holy Spirit wants you to know this. Is that, and in the last days. Now, the word last is where we get the word, anybody ever heard of eschatology? Right? The book of Revelation is eschatology. The eschaton, we're studying the end of days, we're studying the end times. And the word eschaton meant the last in a series. It's like if you watch television and you're going through a Netflix and you come to the last episode in a series. It is the last one. There's no more after it. You better savor it. There's not one more to come. And it's saying that in the last days, it's talking about the final age before Christ comes to the earth. Now, we've been talking about the last days for the last 2,000 years, right? The last days began not when a guy decided to come and write the book called The Harbinger. It didn't begin when someone decided to talk about blood moons. That's not when the last days began. It's not when Israel was formed as a country in 1948. The last days began in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In these last days God has spoken unto us by His Son, Jesus Christ. The last days began when God no longer needed prophets. God no longer needed uh, anything else to begin to talk to His people people except for his son and when his son finished speaking that's when the last days began the messiah had come the last days are here until he comes again 
And the thing about the last days is the last days are not going to get better. We have this idea, which is called, well, dominionism, which means that we're going to all become so super anointed and do so many miracles that we're going to all change the world's mind. And I'm quite frankly going to tell you, if you believe that, you're going to be very disappointed. You're going to find out that God's going to use people in signs and wonders, but the world is not going to get any better. The world has never gotten better. The world has only got darker and darker and is going to get darker and darker and darker until Jesus comes. And we're about to see that in just a second. That's called the battle for the age. And that is why you have got to know this list. And you're going to see in just a second. This is good teaching tonight. You're going to see in just a second that it is not about becoming so super anointed that you go around healing and casting on every devil. Now we need to do that. But that's not going to change people. And the thing that the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you, and the thing, the instruction you're going to get from this, is that it is going to be important that we continue in the faith. Continuing in the faith. Sometimes we think that continuing is underrated, overrated. Why? So what continue in the faith? But I'm going to tell you something, that most people, they don't continue in the faith. How many of you know people that you started off with in Bible study? You started off with in Sunday school, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, maybe church, and now they're on Facebook and they're acting a complete mess. They're acting crazy. They're acting absurd. There's just not people that have continued believing. Or maybe for one year they believed and they stopped. They didn't continue. And this whole list is going to be given to us so that we know how to continue in the faith. Amen, somebody. Amen. And then the Apostle Paul says something that's extremely interesting right here. Extremely interesting. You guys missed it, Moses and Tanisha. Everybody learned Greek just in five minutes. We know what we're talking about. I can't reteach it. I'm just teasing. Okay. It says, so in the last, the in, this is the word, eschatos, last. This is emeris, which is days. It says here, halepoi, kairoi, enthei, astontai. Now this is a future word, which means to come. This is the word times, Cairo. You know, we say a Kairos moment, a Kairos season. It's the word for time. And this is the Greek word right here, which is halopoi. And it means perilous. And this is the adjective describing how the times are going to be. And the Bible says that when the last days come, what is going to happen is that perilous times are going to come. Now, the word perilous, it's referring to something. We say perilous. If I say define perilous, you, what would you say about perilous? We only use that word. When was the last time you used that word? It means times that are stress-filled. The word is used in the Bible in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, and it's describing the maniac or the two maniacs of the Gadarenes. It says in Matthew 8, 28, And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one can pass through the way. And the word fierce is the word halopoi. And that means that these men, nobody wanted to go past these men because these men were unpredictable. Have you ever been around men or a person that is mentally just, their, their mind, there's something wrong with their mind. There's no way of predicting their behavior. There's no rhyme or reason to them. You might meet them one day and they're acting really happy. You, it's almost like a bipolar. You meet them the next day and they're sad. And you just don't know what you're going to get. You have to live with these people. It can be stressful. Because you don't know how to predict their pattern of behavior. Mm -hmm. And you know that is one of the greatest stresses around 
is when you don't know what you're going to get. And this is what the Bible is saying about the last days, is that they are going to be very, very, very stressful times. Because you don't know what you're going to wake up to in the next morning. You don't know tomorrow we're going to wake up, we're going to find out what's going to happen to the candidates. Is there going to be another riot? Is one of the movements, I mean we have about four or five social movements going on right now, just right now. Every day there's a, tr there's, a, there's a movement. You have the never Trump movement. You have the always Trump movement. And you have every other social movement just forming. You have the Tea Party movement. You have the Black Lives Matters movement. You have every sing sing movement, movement, movement just coming. And you don't know how they're going to respond. And this, as you look at the markets, how the markets are becoming. The markets, you don't know. They, in July, the markets went into the tank. People, I heard a guy on, t on the radio today saying, I don't, he's a businessman, he says, the way I'm dealing with this is I don't even look at my 401k anymore. It comes in the mail, my statement comes every month, I don't even look at it. And we don't know what's going to happen with the change in leadership and what has happened in society. Everybody is stressed out. Because times have become boy. Someone say boy. Like jalapeno. Amen. <laughs> and then the apostle. Is this good? I like teaching like this. Is this good? You know, I've never taught from the Greek. I've had a lot of Greek teachers in my life. And so I'm teaching something I'm comfortable teaching because I've seen it done before. Okay. And then we have this post-positive conjunction, which is the word. This is the gamma. This is the alpha. And this is the rho. Anytime you see a P in the Greek, that's an R. That's rho. Listen. We have a small group tonight, so I can teach like this. If you don't like it, I won't be doing this a lot, but I think it's good for tonight's small group. This is the word gar. It means four. Four. And here we have hoi anthropoi. Now, this word anthropoi, anybody ever studied anthropology? What is it the study of? Mankind. This is the word anthropoi. And when we see for men, it's not talking about a man versus a woman. It's talking about mankind. And he's saying that times are going to be restless and unpredictable for. Because of this reason, it is connecting this to this. It is saying it's because of this, it's because of this reason right here that times are going to become stressful. It's not because of the politicians. It's not because it's 21st century. It's not because of the technology. It is for this reason. This is what the Holy Spirit is telling the Apostle Paul. You got it? It's for this reason and he says, Hoi anthropoi estontai. This is the subject of the sentence by the article right here. Hoi is his plural based upon Omicron Iota. He's saying, men plural, they will be. Now this word estontai is the future mood of the Greek word I may, which means to be. And I may means I am. And this is literally saying that men, I am, or will be. I am. It's saying that the next generation of mankind, in the last days, when things become unsettled, will become focused on I am. They become a very, very I am generation. And it's good. Is the word of God opening up to you tonight? You're going to learn a lot. 
Amen. I love teaching like this. Boy, I can you see me in a seminar. I need this for me too. I, I want to practice my Greek. They become I am generation. And this word I am means that they become self-obsessed and self-dominated and self-governed. And that's why everyone becomes stressful is because how would you be, think about this for a second, when do you find an I am attitude? More than any other time of the year, it comes on the eve of Thanksgiving. Everybody acts thankful, and then what do they do? They go out, and they do Black Friday shopping. And you go on, you know, everybody's good until you get into that Walmart, and it becomes about me getting what I want for myself. And when that happens inside of a store, everybody has the same focus. Everybody wants that color screen TV. And I want it, and my neighbor wants it, but we both can't have it, so we're going to fight until we get it. And do you know what? Everybody can't have fame, but everybody's fighting to have fame. Everybody can't be a billionaire, but everybody is fighting to be a billionaire. Everybody can't have 2.7 million followers on Instagram, but everybody is fighting to have 2.7 followers on Instagram. Everybody cannot have 100,000 followers on Facebook, but we're going to fight and fight and fight until we get it because it's all about me. I want the most followers on Instagram. I want the most followers on Twitter. I want the biggest periscope. I want everybody to come to my church, I want, I, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, and it has become such an I am society, everybody is fighting and trying to be the best. That's what this means. And you can see what happens in Walmart on Black Friday. It turns into disarray. People are fighting, they're grabbing the TV, they're pulling each other's hair, and it looks like an uproar, and that's what happens when you get into a society that is so focused on myself. And this is what the Apostle Paul, he's in jail, he's in prison, he's writing, and the Holy Spirit has prophetically come over him and he's telling him about the last dinner. He had no idea there's going to be cell phones. He had no idea there's going to be Facebook. Think about it. Facebook, look at my face. Instagram, it has to be instant. Whatever I am doing is so important. You have to see it right now. Stop what you are doing. See it. Twitter, I'm going to speak and chirp 140 characters. You must hear what I have to say. Stop what you are doing right now. Everybody look at what I am doing. And we become a me generation. I have no problem with that. But then the Apostle Paul, he says something. And I thank God for this. You know, I thank God for this. I encourage anyone to just... If you ever want to study Greek, I, I'd agree. The guy Moody, my teacher, Dr. Roger Kuhneman, he really, really, I thank God for the wisdom that he's, because look at what it's, 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 it's opening himself up for us, amen. And then he says, for men, third person, will be plural, for men, they will be, and it says right here, philatoi. Philatoi. Now you don't know what that means, but you know we talk about love all the time, right? There's agape. There's eros, and I heard one preacher say eros is mentioned in the Bible. The Greek word eros is not mentioned any time in the Bible. Sexual love is never mentioned in the Bible. It's not in there. You have agapo. And actually, agapo isn't just talking about the love of God. We use in the Bible to talk about the love that we have towards God, but it's used in other places to talk about the love that man has towards man. So it's not just the word used in talking about the love of God. It's how we love God. But the love that you have towards one another is a Greek word that's called phileo. And as a matter of fact, you know what this word means when you say the word Philadelphia. Delphia, Delphos is the Greek word to be, to be brother, the city of brotherly love. You see how Greek words connect like this. But this word here, philoptoi, 
is a double Greek word, and here you have octoi, and anytime you see an omicron yoda, that's a plural. And so you have autos, which is the Greek word for self. It's the Greek word for self. But when you have octoi, you have themselves, plural, many people. And the many people it's talking about is koanthropoi, talking about society, and you have now a self-love. And this is an interesting word because who loves themselves? Now here's the interesting thing about it. Let's take it a step further. And let's see what the word phileo means. It is the actual word that describes to kiss. It describes to kiss. And we know this because when we see the word tribulation, we see the word philipsis. And the Bible says that tribulation produces great joy. And the joy that it produces is the word joy. It is phileo. It means to kiss. It produces a kiss. Hello, somebody. And I, have, uh, I like to teach on that sometimes. But this word is talking about a self-love. And the very first thing he says about a generation that becomes obsessed with itself is going to be a generation that is so in love with itself. It's so in love with itself that it's willing to kiss itself and prefers kissing itself above everybody else. Isn't that something? Now, I'm not trying to be someone that bashes it. We do everything in moderation. But what is the most... What, what, what has, you know, I, the, the, you all know the Greek story about the man, I forgot his name, he was the guy, Narciss, Narciss, he looked into the water, and he was looking into the gaze of the water, and what ended up happening, he fell so in love with himself that he fell headlong into the water and he drowned. There was just a sociologist, I read an article the other day, and he says if cell phones were, was, if cell phones were ponds, most of the young people would have already drowned. Isn't that something? I want to read to you a story about the selfie generation. Listen to this story. This is a very sad story. It describes what's going on in an extreme and radical way, but it nevertheless is out there. A British male teenager by the name of Danny Bowman. Have you heard of Danny Bowman? You can YouTube him, you'll see. It's very sad. He's recovered now, thank God. A British male teenager went to the extent of trying to commit suicide after he was unable to take what he felt was the perfect selfie. Danny Bowman became so obsessed with capturing the perfect shot that he would spend roughly 10 hours a day taking up to 200 selfies trying to get the perfect shot. As things got more and more intense for Danny, he lost nearly 30 pounds. He dropped out of school and did not leave the house for six months as he kept trying for the perfect picture. During his suicide attempt, Bowman saved, was saved by his mother. He quotes, says, this is on worldtruth.tv, I pulled the article. I was constantly in search of taking the perfect selfie, and I realized I couldn't. I wanted to die. I lost my friends, my education, my health, and my life. While this is an extreme case, it isn't too far from what goes through many of the minds of young, even older people as they take pictures of themselves for social media. Seeing other people's pictures, seeing the attention they may or may not get, we end up comparing ourselves and the fine details of our looks. Over time, an obsession builds, and our looks become increasingly more important to us. Something I feel we should be focusing less and less versus more and more. Self-release frequently trigger perceptions of self-indulgence or attention-seeking social dependence that raises the... Uh, Danged if you do, danged if you don't, spectra of narcissism or very low self-esteem, said Paula Rutledge in Psychology Today. Narcissism being obsessed with receiving recognition and gratification from your looks, vanity in an egotistical manner, is becoming the major digital problem of our age. And guess what? 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul was in prison. Emperor Nero had him in a dungeon. The Holy Spirit came upon him in a very prophetic way and told him that in the last days, there would be a self-obsessed 
generation who would falato be in love with itself. Isn't that something? That the whole now I have not listen. I know I have follow you guys on social media. I see selfies. It's okay. I'm not saying you don't post a selfie. You guys do the will of God. I'm not talking about that. If you don't feel condemned <clears throat> if you post a selfie, I may post one from time to time. But do you know this is becoming an obsession? The Tour de France in 2014 issued a warning and says, please, when a biker falls down, do not come out onto the course and take a selfie with a biker. You know, people you can find out have been walking off of cliffs, have been walking into poles, have been walking first into traffic because they're taking selfies and don't realize where they're stepping. What is this? It is the result of a generation of men who would become lovers of themselves. Isn't this good teaching? I haven't even begun to crack what's going on. Makes you want to go down to Moody in Plymouth and study the Greek. Amen, somebody. You can take courses for $1,200. You can invest into it, and you will. You, I mean, I thank God. Now listen, I would not teach this if I didn't have a Greek education. I had, like I said, three years of it. So I know how to teach this. And I want to teach this. Is, I'm not the only person that's ever taught like this before, or even on this subject like this. But this is when you teach Greek, one of the things you begin picking apart because it's so rich with words. Amen, somebody. And then, now I want you to see something here. Everything, can I keep teaching? Everything now is going to be connected to this. This, this, this. It's all going to be connected to this right here. And that's the very first thing that he says. Mm -hmm. Love of self. Satan's reason Satan felt. And the next thing that he says, now look at this word if you're close enough. Philagoroi. Do you guys recognize a word in here now? Remember? Philatoi. Philagoroi. What word's in there? Phi. It's a compound word. Now what does the Bible say? What's the what do you have translated in your Bibles? You probably see covetous. Do you see covetous? But see, you miss, it when it's you miss it when it's translated in the English now, don't you? Because you're not seeing what the Greek is telling you. Because we don't have a word in the English to describe what covetousness is. We don't have this word. And the word means, well, we know it means love of what? Well, argoroi. What is argoroi? This is a word that comes from things. It means to describe things that are made out of silver. Silver at that time was what you had coins made out of. It means to love coins. To love, it gives the picture of a guy and he sees coins and he holds them and he loves them. You know, I remember when I was a kid and I used to go to the arcades and I used to go get a bucket full of tokens. You ever see a kid in Chuck E. Cheese with tokens? He takes those tokens, he loves them. I love these tokens, I have enough for this, I have enough for this, I have enough for this. And guess what? If you go to give that kid more tokens, he is not going to reject them, he is going to take them. Because it's going to keep him in the arcade just a little bit longer. Right, girls? They're going to keep pumping him into the machine. They want him. They're going to go into the machine. And the Bible says that Philargoi is talking about somebody that loves silver things or coins so much that they do not have the ability to say no to anything. It's covetousness. And you meet people like that all the time. They, no matter how much that they have, they do not have the ability to say no because nothing is ever enough.
They get what they want. They believe in God for a car. They get a car. And guess what? They don't want this car anymore. They want the next car. The iPhone 6S, they get it in their hands. I have the iPhone 6S. Then they find out the iPhone 6SS comes out. And they want the iPhone 6SS. And you say, what's the difference? I don't know, but I have to have the iPhone 6SS. And then they get the iPhone 6SS. And then the next iPhone 7 comes out. And they got to have that. They don't need it. They just are covetous. And do you know what? They feel like they're entitled to it. Is the Word of God opening up for you just a little bit? Starting to see now what we're going to go through in the last days. And here the Apostle Paul, he's in a prison under Nero. He's going to die and the Holy Spirit is having him write the last thing for the church. And we're not going to be able to get to it tonight. But you're going to, maybe I'll start on this Sunday. Would this be good for a Sunday, you think? No? Yes? I think it'd be good for Sunday. I might do it on Sunday. But we're still doing our In Christ series. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I love this. Because listen, what is going to get you through the last days? I'm telling you right now, what's going to get you through the last days is not a word of prophecy from a prophet on a telephone. Is not going to be, you know, something else that's very lav- lavish, even marketable. What is going to get you through the last days is the Word of God. The Word of God is going to be the only thing. And let me tell you something about the Word of God. It is nothing fancy about it. It is meat and potatoes. But let me tell you, a diet of meat and potatoes, you're going to be the healthiest person going. Amen. Amen. <laughs> then the Bible says that the next word is Allah is on says. And this is a word that means to make more of yourself than you are to make of. It talks about, your Bible probably says, boasters. It's talking about people or vagabonds that used to, people that didn't have very much of their own. They weren't a vagabond. You know what a vagabond is? It's someone that doesn't have a lot of possessions. They're travelers, they're bums, they're, they're poor people. What they have next to them is all they have. But the vagabonds had a very interesting behavior. And they go through the cities and they would brag that they knew different cures and they knew different medical practices. And they would make more of themselves through their words. And their words were more than the substance that they possessed. And how many people do this today, just on social media alone? Through social media, their lives look like one thing, but when you meet them, it's not much. And that's why I'm very careful about how I advertise our church, because I don't want people to think it's something when it's not what I'd say it is. I want to be very careful about the presentation that I give people about our church. I want to be very careful about the presentation I give people about myself, because I never want to come off as being more than what I am, because the moment your words begin to increase above your substance and your character, you are now boasting. If your words match your character, if you are saying something that you are, you are not boasting. But if your words transcend your character now, you are vagabond, boasting of a cure that you do not have. It's like saying, I'm a bum, but I have been to med school and I can perform surgery. No, you cannot. And that's the picture that the word boasting is, which you wouldn't know that. But now you do. Amen. And then the Bible gives something that's even more interesting, and that is the word uper, and it's ethanoi. And here... Fano, right here, is where we get the word that comes from light, fos. Thanatos means to make, thanoi means to make manifest. Phonase means to make manifest. And what this is saying is that we have hyper light or hyper manifestation. And this is talking about 
being proud. Hyper, phones, and that's where we get the word light, to make manifest it. It's talking about someone who shines light on something. And somebody comes along and tries to shine a brighter light on it. And what this is talking about is a person that is proud, who has an overwhelming estimate over their own merits, treating people with contempt. It's the attitude, whatever you have done, I have done something better. If you went on a vacation, I went on a better vacation. If you got an award, if you got a trophy, I got a bigger trophy. Whatever you did, I have done it, I have been there, and I've been there more times than you have been there. If you have a job where you're making $60,000 a year, I make $61,000 a year. You understand what I'm saying? And this is people that are, whatever light they find, they try to find a bigger light to shine on it. Whatever picture they post, they try to find a picture that is bigger and better to post about it. Amen, somebody. And that's what it means to be proud. Okay, we have 20 minutes. Can I keep going? Okay, because I want to get to down here. Then we see blasphemy. We think blasphemy is talking about blasphemy in God. Amen, somebody. We think when we say that we're blasphemers, it's in reference to God. But the word blasphemy doesn't always mean reference to God. In specific places of the Bible, it means to blasphemy God. But here it's not talking about blaspheming God. It's talking about blaspheming language in regards to your fellow man. It means that you are somebody that comes along and you speak with disgusting, crude, rude speech and you are mocking and jeering everything that you see and everything that you hear. And unless you have already been hardened by it, it is shocking to you that people talk this way. There are Instagram accounts you can go to. They're very popular Instagram accounts. They have 8, 9, 10 million followers. They put funny things up there. Some things are funny. But most of the time, it is at somebody's own expense. They make fun of everything. You have shows like The Family Guy. Everybody is a target. Nobody is off limits. They're going to make fun of everything, no matter how wholesome it is. It is going to be made fun of. The only thing that you're supposed to do is to tolerate what we make. We're going to make fun of the Christian. We're going to make fun of the Jew. We're going to make fun of the Muslim. Nothing is sacred. We're going to make fun of it, and we're going to, we're going to be cruel about the way that we talk about it. How many have seen something like this in the last 24 hours? In the last week, raise your hand if you saw something like this. That's because people today are rude and crude and disgusting in their speech. Now, something happens... And now we're going to move. Are you guys with me? Are you following me? Is this too much for one night? Are you okay? Okay. So here we have Genoisin. This is Gamma, Omicron, Nu, Epsilon. Uh, and this is a scene. Sigma, Yoda, and another Nu. And this Upsilon. This is talking about, this is what we get the word Genoisin. Anybody ever heard of gynecology? So if this is gynecology, this is talking about parents. Parents. And the Bible says, apathes. Apathes. And this word here, pathes, is the Greek word for obedience. It's to be obedient. And it means to be obedient to your parents. It means to show respect to your parents. But something in the Greek is called an alpha privative. Someone say alpha privative. Look at you guys, like seminary students, you guys are learning very nicely in alpha privative. Basically, if you want to cancel something out or undo something, you put an A in front of it, or what the Greek would be an alpha. 
So if you want to talk about obedience, if you want to talk about disobedience or undoing the obedience, what do you do? You put an alpha in front of it, like this, it becomes an alpha privative, and it no longer means obedience, it means disobedience. Which this word here is very interesting because look at what we have right here. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight words that now begin with alpha privatives. Do you see that? Look. A Christostoi. Anoisioi. A strogoi. A spudoi. We have this. We'll get to this in a second. A krates. A nermoi. A phila gathoi. And we have three words here. You'll see that in a second. Eight words. You know what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell you in the Greek? There is a great undoing that is happening right now. Things that were once staples of society is like a staple in the paper. It was a staple of the society. It held the society together. But something is now happening when you see the undoing. And now, the spirit of the age is taking the staples which once put society and is undoing them and pulling society apart and dividing the fibers of society. Is this good teaching? It's good teaching. So, what's the first thing that causes a society well, it's very simple. When kids become disobedient to their parents, and this is talking about parents that no longer have control of their children. You see this today. I remember I was on an airplane. I will never forget this in all my life. I was coming back from Charlotte, North Carolina last year. I was on the air. Well, where was I going? I don't know. I wasn't. Where was I? I can't. Where was I at? I, don't, I was in the East Coast coming back. This kid was sitting in the bulkhead area with his family. I was sitting one seat behind it, and the parents were trying to control this kid, and they could not. They said, turn the video game off. No. Turn it off. No, I'm not done with the video game. Turn it off. No. Shut up. No, I wish it was, it was no, it was fine. Just keep playing. That kid was telling his parents, run, be quiet. I'm not turning the game off. It's my game. You can't turn it off. People were sitting around the airplane looking at each other. I could not believe what I was seeing. The kid was dressed like he was from some type of yuppie rich home. Forgive me. And the parents didn't do anything. They never took the video game with him. They tried to console the kid, make the kid feel like he was bad. They got off the airplane first because they had the kid. And this kid and me looked at each other when they got off. And the kid says, if that was me, my parents would have slapped the fire out of me. I said my parents would have beat me uh, before I even told. If that would have been me. I, they'd open up the plane hatch and shot, throw me out the window. They'd have put me up in the storage and shut the storage cabin on me. Smack my head. They would. Uh, I remember my dad. One time I got lost in Disney World. I didn't listen to him. I got lost. We didn't have cell phones. We we were lost in Disney with nothing. Couldn't find me. Fifty thousand people in the park that day. We we ended up running into each other. My dad whooped me so bad. <laughs> I didn't want any more Mickey Mouse. He took his lemonade and threw it at me. That's how mad he was. Yeah. And back then you had a right to do that. I never did it again. We go to Disney World today, I hold his hand. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) 
But this means kids, they were once obedient and they are now don't have the ability and they're weak and will not discipline their kids for anything. A kid wants to watch a movie, they let the kid watch the movie. They tell their parents how to parent. An undoing that's happening in society. And the, the Apostle Paul is sitting in prison and the Holy Spirit has come over him and is showing him what is happening in these last days. Hallelujah for the Holy Spirit showing us what's going to happen in the last days. And I got news for you. We're not going to get to it tonight. What's that? It's going to get worse. It's going to, we're going to get worse all the way up. We're, we're got, we've still got a lot left to go. We're only up to here. And, and I'll give you the solution next week about what the Apostle Paul says. The only way you're going to survive it. There's only one way you're going to survive it. Only one way. And not everybody is going to survive it. But light of today is going to survive it. Amen. I'm going to survive it. I'm going to go out there. I'm not going to be undone. You keep your staples in. You have a kid that talks back to you. You take him and you put the rod on him. Don't be angry when you do it now. Calm down. Be prepared to hug your kid after you're done doing it. But give him a nice licking. I remember my dad one time spanked me before I, just yesterday, I'm just <laughs> Gave me a nice spanking. Then I laid on my bed and I was crying. And all of a sudden the door came, he left for about 15 minutes, came back, gave me a hug and said, now listen, I love you. And I do this because I want you to live a long time on the earth. I turned out pretty good, amen? amen. Not perfect, but good. Amen. Get me by, at least. <laughs> Just teasing. Well, then the Bible says something else happens. Now, look at this word. Karistoi. You know the word karis. Karis means a gift. means the anointing. It means to be thankful. You know, all those words are the same. When we say the anointing, we say a gift, we say grace, it all comes from the same word, and that is charistoi. You know, it's interesting when you think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When does it come into a congregation? When the congregation starts praising God and letting God know how thankful we are. That's because the anointing is tied to the grace of God. And the grace of God is always released in a person's life when they become thankful. Look at the United States of America. This is, no society has ever existed like the United States of America before. And the reason we have what we have as a society is because of the grace of God. Now you have anti-American people say, oh, we killed Indians and threw them off their land and all that kind of stuff. Listen, listen, no society is perfect. Other societies have been guilty of certain things. But you think about the liberty and the freedom that we have had here. It is because of God's grace. And we are the only country that has a, a whole day of the year that's dedicated to being thankful unto God. And I think, I don't think I know it is a diabolic plan of Satan, a diabolic plan of Lucifer, that, that it used to be the midnight, right after Thanksgiving, people would go to Black Friday shopping. It's not even that anymore. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. People are already gone. They're no longer thankful for something. They are so unthankful. They gotta have more. They become back into covetousness because they love themselves. They, 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 they cannot get enough shiny thing. And guess what starts to happen? The staple of thankfulness that held our society together is popping out. Being ripped up from society. There's a great undoing that is happening. And Satan is taking the unthankfulness from the people's hearts. Fine kids today, they don't say, I'm thankful for anything anymore. I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have this. 
You know, the Holy Spirit, the one thing he gets on me the most about, your pastor, the one thing Pastor Palmer has to keep his heart in place is to be thankful for what I have. The other day I said, I thank you, Jesus. I am healthy. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm close to my family. You didn't give me a ministry assignment in Russia. You didn't give me a ministry assignment in China. You didn't send me to Indiana. You didn't send me to Chicago. You didn't send me to Florida. You sent me right here in my backyard. I can see my family every day. Thank you for my leadership team. Thank you for our church building. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for everything. Thank you, Lord, for everything that I have. And you know what? When you do that, what happens? The power of God shows up. The anointing of God shows up. The grace of God starts showing up in your life. Things start coming your way. Things start. You look at your bank and I thank you. It is where it is. I thank you. I used to be in debt. I'm in no debt no more. Thank God for that. But you don't hear that in people today. You know what you hear? Well, I don't have, I don't have this. I don't have that. I saw a guy, I was working on a Greek test actually, in a restaurant over here on Drake Road. No, it was on Haggerty, 14 mile, dominant place. How did you take all my tests there? And the dad was talking to his kids and he told his kid, listen, if you want something, you have to go out there and earn it. You want a baseball trophy? You got to win a baseball tournament. You want to win a baseball tournament? You got to be good. You want to be good? You got to practice. You want to practice? You got to practice every day. And if you don't get it, you're not going to get that trophy. The kid was listening. I wanted to go over to that dad and say, you know what? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for teaching your kids that if they want something, they honor. You want to be a doctor? You got to go to med school. You want to go to med school? You got to take out loans. You're going to take out loans? You got to learn to pay them back. You want to pay them back? You got to stay being a doctor. Right? You're going to have loans for a while. You're going to pay interest. It's going to be tough. That's why when a doctor has a Corvette, I say, congratulations, you deserve that Corvette. You earned it. You want a successful business? You got to take a risk. Hello, somebody. You got to earn that. You got to go out there. You, gotta, you don't hear people saying that nowadays. You say, well, I just do hard. I don't understand. I just don't understand. Why? I, I, I did a semester. You got to do, to get through school, to get through undergrad school, you have to do eight semesters, sometimes ten. And then to get through your master's program, you got to do another six. That's 15 semesters, 14 semesters. <laughs> 14 semester. Then you want to go through that? You got to do more. But people are unthankful. Amen. So, man, this is good teaching. Unthankful. The next thing we see here. Should I quit or should I keep going? Noisoi. Noisoi is the Greek word to be holy. It's not, you say holy. We say what it means to be holy. I have five minutes. We're going to stop here. Because I'm going to save it. Maybe I'll do it Sunday. Anoy soy. It means to be holy. But something has happened in society. Now we say holy. We think, what do you mean by holy? What do you, what do you mean by holy? I'm going to put it into perspective for you. Sacred. Reverent. Without defilement. It means that we once had a society that was held together. Because certain things were sacred. Do you know what was sacred in societies? Funerals. Anybody from this church ever shows up to any funeral from this church, you go in a suit and a tie. You don't show up in a funeral with torn blue jeans. You pay your respect. Well, God doesn't care what it is that I wear. That just tells me where you're at. God doesn't care. 
I understand it has nothing to do with your salvation. This isn't about you and God. It's about you and that person's family. You be respectful. When I do ministry, when you go on behalf of the church to do ministry, you look your best. You look your sharpest. You iron your pants. You cl- You need to be. Why? Because when you are doing, that's why. You know, we have a few people here tonight. I don't care. When I'm th- you see this? This, I don't come behind this and look like I was out raking the leaves. I come behind here and I put this on because this is a sacred thing that I'm doing. No matter how many people are present. This is sacred. And there are certain things in society. Well, put on jeans, we can reach the crowd. We're talking about a crowd that doesn't know that certain things are sacred anymore. Let me tell you something. You know what you don't do at a funeral? You don't take selfies at a funeral. I was at a funeral one time. I almost fell over. They almost had to put me in the coffin. In Jesus' name. When I, 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 would, I, I never forget it. I will never. I saw someone get next to the coffin. And they gave the camera to somebody. I said, wow. I, I want to look for them on Facebook just to be their friends when they post that. To see the kind of comments they're going to get. Nothing's sacred anymore. You let me tell you what's not sacred. Let me tell you what's not sacred anymore. What's not sacred is holidays. Mother's Day. Father's Day. We don't celebrate with our mothers anymore. We don't celebrate with our fathers anymore. You need to be with your mother on Mother's Day. If you can. If she lives far, we need to write her a letter. You need to send her. Well, I'll give her a text. Call her on Mother's Day. Honor her. Christmas time. Well, I want to be with your family. Celebrate it like it is sacred. You see television shows making fun of it. Secularizing it. Christians become the same way. Nothing is sacred anymore. And you know when something is not sacred anymore, what it becomes? Everything becomes one big joke. Christmas is a joke. It's a ha-ha. Everybody's ha ha <laughs> It's just, it's funny. Politics become entertainment. And I'm not talking about who you vote for. I'm not talking about that. That's between, I don't get into politics. I'll never talk about that for you. But listen, let me say this. Candidates should not be acting like sixth graders. Our country is going through a time of transition. Our leaders need to act mature. Certain people, I I know some of them are Christians, but I lost so much respect when I saw them going up there and making fun of their... their, their, I just lost respect. I'm not going to say the name of the candidate, but he lost his poll numbers. Went ex- I went to, I, li- I liked the guy. And then when he did that, his poll numbers went right down. He talks about God, but when he started acting like a child. It's called being irreverent. And he lost my respect when he did that. He made up some of it, but he lost my respect at the time. He lost how I felt about him. Because it's just one big ha-ha, it's one big joke. What, we, what kind of example are we setting for our kids? Amen somebody. So we have no longer sacred. Now we have a couple left, but I'm going to leave it at that tonight. Amen, somebody. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Let me pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Now that you've heard the light of today, connect with us. Go to our website, lightoftoday.org. Write us at P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. Or tweet Chris Palmer at twitter.com forward slash Chris Palmer. Our podcasts are free and updated regularly. 
So make sure to share them with a friend and tune in again to the light of today with Chris Palmer.